Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Thessalonians, we're still there. We're still going to be there a little while. First Thessalonians, and go ahead and find the fourth chapter, and we're going to finish up the fourth chapter together today. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Right now, death is a part of life. Now, when you think about it, that phrase sounds a little strange, does it not? Death is a part of life. But unless the Lord Jesus returns for us first, all of us, every person in this room, is going to face death. Now that was not the case when our great, 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 I don't know how many great grandparents, Adam and Eve, were placed in the Garden of Eden and first walked upon the earth. Death 
was not a part of their life originally. Now, they had heard about it. They'd been warned about it because God told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit. And as I thought about that, I, I wondered how they even processed that idea. Of course, we know that they, I assume, would have used 100% of their brain, unlike us, and they would have been able to understand that. But death was not originally part of their existence. It did not come until they disobeyed God and they bit into that forbidden fruit and they forever ushered us into a culture of death. We live in a culture of death. Death and decay are all around us. Whether it's the bugs on your windshield, the steak on your plate, or your loved one that goes to glory, our life is surrounded by death. Now, some of you are already depressed because you said, I thought it was going to be an encouraging word today. And you told us we're all going to die. Well, just hang on. Don't leave yet. We're going to get to some encouragement. I'm just setting the stage reminding you that we live in a culture of death. Sin is costly. And we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. I'm reminded of that every day. I'm reminded of that over and over again. All the problems you had this past week, all the breakdowns, all the issues, all the pain, all the sorrow, all of that is a result of sin. All of that is because of our representatives way back in the Garden of Eden decided to take of that forbidden fruit. There were no undertakers in the Garden of Eden, but we've had them with us ever since. But what happens after death? Now, all of us face death, and in reality, did you ever think about the fact that we spend a lot more time after death than we do before death? I mean, the best of us here, if we can hang on, might live to a hundred or a little over a hundred. I don't know what technology may bring about, but even if you live to 110, when you consider how much time comes after death versus before death, we're going to spend a lot more time on the other side. And we need to understand what that's all about. And we need to understand what eternity is about and what forever is about. And what life is like after death, if you will. Now, I want to give you a quick summary of what happens after death. And then we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to zero in on something concerning this whole idea that God wants us as Christians to understand. Now, I'm going to give you a real basic teaching when it comes to death. Alright? So, I'm just giving you 101 Summary. We could talk a long time about this. We could dig in deeper to this. But we're just going to give you a summary. We all die. We're all going to face death. And then we go to one of two places. We either go to a glorious place called heaven or we go to a horrible place that we refer to as hell. We do not cease to exist. We do not cease being. Now, for a person to go to hell... They don't have to do anything else. Hell is a horrible place. We automatically go there when we die if we have not received Jesus Christ as our Savior. We go there because we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. That goes back to Adam and Eve. That goes back to our representative. Adam was our representative. And when he chose to sin, he plunged the whole human race into sin. And so he's our representative. We're sinners by nature. And then furthermore, we are sinners by choice. And we live our lives outside of Christ under condemnation. We are doomed. 
we are destined to spend an eternity apart from God in a horrible place called hell. Now, thankfully, that's not the only option. And that's not the only destination. We can avoid hell. We can avoid condemnation. But only by one way, only through one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin has to be paid for. And either we will spend eternity paying for our sin, a debt that will never end. It will be eternal death. Or we can have a substitute pay for our sin for us. We must have a Savior. And our Savior's name is Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God, came and lived a sinless, perfect life. Then He voluntarily went to the cross. And on that cross where He suffered and He bled and He died, He took upon Himself our sin, our debt. He paid for us what we could not pay. He was buried, and then He arose again victorious the third day, thereby conquering sin and death and grave and, the he- and hell. And He did all that for us because He loves us that much. But I need you to understand something. That's not automatically applied to us. What He did for us on the cross, the substitute, the Savior, We have to respond in faith. The way it works, and we could dig more into this, but I'm just giving you a summary. This isn't even the main part of what we're going to study today, but this is setting the stage for it. God, through His Holy Spirit, He opens our eyes to our need of Christ, and He shows us that we're sinners. He shows us that we're lost. He shows us we cannot save ourselves. And by His Holy Spirit, He begins to draw us to Himself. But we must respond in faith. The Bible says we must repent of our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent has the idea of turning from our sin. And and faith has the idea of trusting Him, of believing on Him. And by the way, those two things go together. They happen at the same time if you have the two sides of one coin, repentance and faith. And the moment where the Lord opens your eyes to your need and draws you to Himself and enables you to place your trust and your faith in Him alone, the Bible says that a person at that moment is saved. They're forgiven of their sin. They're cleansed. They're made a child of God. Christ's righteousness is imputed to them. In Christ, they are absolutely perfect. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them and they have new life. They've been born again. And when they die, they go to the glorious place that God has prepared for them, a place called heaven. But you have to understand salvation is a gift that must be received by faith. We take it by faith. Now, we're not nearly done, but I think I should offer that gift to anyone here who's not sure they've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's never been a time where you've recognized that you're a sinner, you're lost, you're undone, and there's never been a time where you've placed your faith in Christ alone. You can do that right now, right where you are seated. The best way to express that faith is through a prayer. Now, the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But our our praying expresses our trust, our faith in Him. You could pray something very simple right from your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know that I cannot save myself. I believe that Jesus died for me, was buried for me, and arose again for me. And Lord, the best way I know how, I turn from my sin and I place my total trust in You and I take You as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Save me, cleanse me, forgive me. 
And I can tell you based upon the Word of God that if you really mean business with Him and you call upon Him, you will be saved and you can do that right where you are right now. And I would encourage you to do it. Don't wait till the end of the service. Don't wait for what we call the invitation time. But right where you are, right where you're seated right now, you can lift your heart in prayer. And if you'll do that today, I do want to encourage you at the end of the service to come and let us know that. We would love to rejoice with you and help you to grow and to help you to begin your journey of faith with the Lord and encourage you and help you in any way we can and to help you to know the next steps to take in your walk with the Lord. But right now, it's all about making sure that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of the message is for Christians. If you're a Christian, what we're going to talk about today applies to you. We know the Bible says that we go to heaven when we die, but I want to think about really what happens when we die. If I were to die this very moment, if I were to personally die this very moment, what would happen? Well, number one, you'd be shocked if I just died right now. Number two, you'd have something to tell people for the rest of your life. I was in church one time and the preacher was talking about death and he fell dead. Right there on the spot, he fell dead. It was a big thump. He was a big guy. Boom. But really, what would happen? My lifeless body would collapse on the stage here. And a few days later, some of y'all be together. You'd be eating fried chicken. You'd be eating potato salad. Don't put onions in it. Don't ruin it. But you'd be eating potato salad. You'd be talking. And you'd say something like this. Well, the preacher's in heaven now. He's with Jesus now. You know, he preached about him and he's with him now. But, but think about that for a moment. My body is still here. My body would be in a box, a casket. Depending on how long we're talking about, my body may already be in the ground. So how can you say that I'm with Jesus if my body is in a cemetery in a box in the ground? Well, you've got to recognize, beloved, that we are more than just our physical bodies. You see, the body, this body I have is where I live but it's not where I'm going to stay. My, my body that I have here is part of me. It's my house. It's where I live. But I have a soul. I have a spirit. And the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So what happens if I were to fall dead this very moment right here on the platform, my body would be here. My body remains here, but I'm not here. Why? Because my soul and my spirit have gone to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happens to our bodies? Are we just done with them? We just leave them behind forever? Is our body done? You know, think about it. Since some people die, you, you can't even find a body. There, there's no body left. Yet, if they're a believer, they'll be with the Lord. If they're an unbeliever, they'll be apart from the Lord. 
And what this brings us to is what the Scripture says here today. What happens to our bodies? What happens to us? How is all this going to play out? Well, we're going to talk about a wonderful truth that you need to understand. It's the truth of the rapture. The rapture of the church. Now, you're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You didn't think we'd get there, but here we are. And I want you to find verse 13. And let's read this Scripture together. And then we'll reference some other Scripture. Let's talk about what's going to happen to us, what the rapture's all about, and what happens to our body, our soul, our spirit, what happens to us for eternity. Turn your attention, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now notice he's talking to believers here, talking to Christians. Concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God, watch this, will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now you need to know as you read this passage that when he's talking about people being asleep, he's not talking about people taking a nap, like maybe some in here this morning right now. Shh. Don't wake them up. They're tired. When he says they're asleep here, He's talking about people that died. They're dead. If you have a family member or a friend who died in Jesus, where are they? Well, verse 14 says that Jesus is going to bring them with Him. This is all about the rapture. Now, now some don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture is not found in our English Bible. You won't find the word rapture unless it's a, a heading that somebody added in or a note. But in the text itself, we don't find the word rapture. So where in the world do we get the idea of rapture? Where does that come from? Well, in verse 17, you notice the phrase caught up. Caught up. William MacDonald said the word rapture, which we use to describe the first phase of the Lord's return, is derived, listen, from the verb used here in the Latin Bible, meaning caught up. A rapture is a snatching away or a catching up. So that comes from the Latin Bible. The verb there caught up is rapture. And that's why we refer to it as the rapture. The word doesn't appear, but the truth does and the concept does. And we need to understand it. Now, before we go any further, and by the way, I've got to ask you to do something that's hard. I've got to ask you to think. I know it's been a long week. It may have been a long morning. But we gave you donuts today, so if you were here early. So that, I hope that sugar will be pulsing right now and you'll be able to think. I've got to give you a couple things right up front about the rapture. I need to tell you, first of all, there are different views on when the rapture will take place. Some believe in pre-trib, some believe in mid-trib, some believe in post-trib, some believe in the partial view. And you say, what does all that mean? Well, I'll just tell you what I'm talking about today, what I believe the Bible teaches. What I'm referring to today is the pre-tribulational view. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It just means that I believe the Bible teaches that before the tribulation time comes upon the earth, that God is going to rapture, take home, catch up, take away the church to be with Him 
before all hell breaks loose upon the earth. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There are those who believe the church will remain and go through these things, but as I understand it, we're going to be taken out before that ever takes place. So, some people believe differently. We'll not argue with them. We're not going to break fellowship over that, but we believe primarily here that the pre-trib is going to happen before the tribulation time comes. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Secondly, you've got to do this when you're studying your Bibles. You've got to keep two things in your mind, all right? Keep this in your mind. Number one, the rapture's here. Number two, the second coming's here. I used to get so confused about this as a younger Bible student. You know why? Because some people, when they talk about the second coming of Christ, they're talking about all of it all at the same time. But what happens is the rapture takes place, and then after the rapture, there's a seven-year period that takes place known as the tribulation. Let me, let me show you a chart. This might be helpful here. You notice the cross. This is from First Baptist Dallas. You notice the chart there. You notice the cross on the left-hand side, and it says church age. That's where we're living right now. We're living in the church age. The next event on the prophetic timeline, according to the Scripture, is right there. It is the rapture. And that's when we're caught up to be with the Lord. We'll read some more about it in a little bit. We'll talk more about it. And then after the rapture, it ushers in what is known as the tribulation. And that's a seven-year period of time. And you don't want to be here for the tribulation. Things are going to be horrible during that time. And then we see, at, we'll kind of, we're just giving you a broad stuff. You see here where it says second coming of Christ? This is when Christ literally comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom here upon the earth. And sometimes when you're reading, especially older scholars, they talk about the second coming, it gets kind of confusing in your mind because you're not sure they're talking about, what are they talking about? But remember, the rapture is next. Nothing has to happen for the rapture to happen, by the way. We're not waiting on anything to be fulfilled. We're not waiting on anything. The rapture could happen this very moment. The rapture could happen at any time. And when the trumpet sounds, the voice of the archangel, and that shout, we're going to go up. We'll talk about exactly the details in a moment. We're going to go up. We're going to be with the Lord. By the way, we'll go from there to the judgment seat of Christ, where we're judged according to our lives and rewarded according to our lives. And there's so much we could talk about, but I want to stay focused. But then upon the earth, those who remain will enter into the tribulation time. So keep in your mind that there's the rapture and the second coming. Sometimes people talk about it all in the same vein. It's all, you could think about it this way and be very biblical. There are two phases to the second coming of Christ. Phase one is the rapture. Phase two is the second coming. In phase one in the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. In phase two, we come back with the Lord to the earth. Okay? Just like when you're studying your Bible, you need to keep separate in your mind Israel and the church. Don't confuse those. God is not done with Israel. God's going to fulfill everything He's promised to them. The third thing you need to know about the rapture before we dive into this particular passage, the rapture is the next the next event on the prophetic timeline. It's what we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord to return in the rapture. And it could happen today. Now, there's more we could say, 
But I'm going to reserve that because I want to give you three truths from this passage in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to run out of time, so I want to give you these three. And I want you to tuck away these three truths in your heart. We're going to go through them kind of quickly, but they're important. And, And in this passage, I want you to notice these things. Number one, truth number one, I want you to notice that this whole idea of the rapture is given to us, listen, it's given to us to comfort us, not confuse us. To comfort us, it's gone. Maybe the rapture happened, we won't have to change that bulb, I don't know. Well, it's that way, but I'll give you, you can, you can jot it down anyway. The rapture is given to us to comfort us, not confuse us. Some people get real nervous when you talk about things like the rapture. They think, that's kind of weird. Those people are weird. They're talking about end times things. Mm. Look at what it says at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Notice this. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Look at verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. These are comforting words. I can't tell you what a blessing it is, you know, because I get called upon a lot to stand and to preach funerals, to stand by gravesides, to be with families as their loved one is dying. What a comfort it is to know that those loved ones, that person who is leaving this earth and leaving their body behind, that is not it for them. That's not the end for them. And so as believers, we don't sorrow without hope. We don't grow despondent. Yes, we grieve. And by the way, it's right to grieve. In fact, the Lord Jesus grieved. He stood at the graveside of His friend Lazarus and it says in John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. I believe we think He also stood by the graveside of His adopted father Joseph at some point in His life because Joseph is not at the cross. He understands what it is to stand by. And by the way, it says Jesus wept and He was getting ready to raise Lazarus. But He wept. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And it's right for us to sorrow and to grieve and to mourn, but we don't do it without hope when that loved one knew Jesus. Why? Because they're not lost. They're not gone forever. They're with Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we're going to see them again. And so this is not given to confuse you, to confound you, to frustrate you. This is given to you to comfort us. To comfort you. Truth number one, it's given to comfort us, not confuse us. Truth number two, you're going to like this one. We will all be changed. We'll all be changed. If we had time, we would go over to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to take the time to read four or five verses. But in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're studying the rapture, that also talks about the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 54. This is the NLT. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, touch your body, your physical body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. 
It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living also will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. We notice how this plays out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus returns in the clouds. There's the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the shout. And it says there that the dead in Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. I've jokingly said through the years, you've heard me, some of you heard me remember, I'd love to be in a cemetery on that day. Boom! Just graves bursting open. Bodies flying up. You say, well, that sounds kind of morbid. It happens so quick, I don't know that I would even be able to see it in a twinkling of an eye. And, and it's not the dead, decaying bodies that are going to be rejoined with the soul and spirit. Remember it says that He'll bring our loved ones who died in Jesus, who sleep in Jesus with Him, their soul and spirit. At that moment, their bodies will be resurrected. So what happens if there is no body? Wherever their body is will be, I guess, rematerialized, be glorified, and their bodies will be changed. They'll be perfected. They'll be given a body that will last throughout all eternity. And their soul and spirit and body will be reunited and perfected and glorified forever in a body that will never die again. And here's even more exciting news. If that happened right now, then that puts us in the category of those who are alive and remain. And the Bible says that those of us who are alive and remain, we also are going to go up and be transformed. Did you notice verse 17? And back in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them. We're going to join them in the clouds. Remember, He hasn't come down and set up His kingdom yet. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Glorified, perfected. No more pain. No more medicine. No more diet. No more scales. No more cholesterol counting. Glory. Do you know in heaven we will not have different sized robes? We won't have our fat robes and our skinny robes depending on how we're doing that week. We'll have a perfect size robe forever. We'll all be changed. We'll all be changed. But there's something else. Truth number three said at the end of verse 17, we will be with the Lord forever. Did you notice that? And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Beloved, can I just remind you today that heaven is heaven. Why? Because Jesus is there. Sure, we want to see our loved ones. My dad died when I was five years old. Very, very few memories. I have a few. And I want to see my dad again. I want to see my loved ones again. I want to see people I've known through the years, Christians who've gone before. Everybody in this room has a list of loved ones that they can't wait to see. I want to see some of these Bible characters that we read about and study about. 
But most of all, we want to see Jesus. The one who died for us. The one who bled for us. The Bible says He still bears the marks in His body of what He suffered for us. And beloved, we're not going to be with Jesus just a little bit. It says we will be with the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of sin. And I'm tired of pain. And I'm tired of funerals. And I'm tired of hospitals. And I'm tired of problems. And I'm tired of goodbyes. And I'm tired of struggling. And I'm tired of failing. And there's coming a day where all of that is going to cease. And it says He will wipe all tears from their eyes. I couldn't help but think about the song, There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There will be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the One who died for me. What a day! Glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon His face, the One who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand. And leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Therefore, beloved, comfort one another with these words. Father, we love You today. There's so many distractions in our world and even today in this service, things that could distract us. But help us to keep our eyes stayed upon You, looking for You, living for You, longing for You, loving You as we love others. If anybody here does not have this hope today, Lord, Touch their heart. Help them to be ready. Help them to be saved. Call them to Yourself. And then, Lord, I believe there may be believers today that are struggling. May this encourage their heart. For those that are grieving today, may this encourage their heart to know that You're waiting you are preparing a place for us. And you're coming back to get us. That where you are, we may be also forever and ever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our closing hymn and the altar is open today.
You need to be saved. If you were saved, we would love to rejoice with you. You want to come and pray about something. You want to come and just spend some time with the Lord. The altar is open. We invite you to come. But we're going to sing in closing 605 in the suite. By and by, the altar is open. You come as God leads. Let's stand together and sing.